You have no idea how much we've been looking forward to being here uh, and how much it means to us to get to be a part of this. Uh, this, this has been an eventful uh, few weeks in our lives, but man, we have so looked forward to this. Thank you, Pastor John, for the opportunity to be here. And the story that he referenced about us coming, it's true. Um, we, we went through a couple of stages uh, in the process of coming to Ohio, and, and maybe I'll share that whole story tomorrow. I really intended to share it tonight, but I uh, really feel like God gave me a, another word to, to share tonight that, that wouldn't have gone with that. But we kind of went through the stages of that could never be God. Why would God ever call anybody to leave mid-Florida on the beach and go to any place else, right? It's not, it, you know, it wasn't that Youngstown was or Ohio wasn't in, inviting to us. We just, it was never on the radar for us. We didn't have any thoughts about Ohio, so we said it can't be God. And then we said it might be God. And then we came and we landed in Ohio on the first, our first trip here ever, other than we drove through one time and it rained from Michigan to Kentucky the whole way. Uh, so I just never, never thought much about Ohio. But then when we came April 14th of last year just to see if God was in it, and when we got off the plane in April, April, April 14th, it was snowing. I looked at my wife and I said, we've now gone from it can't be God, it might be God, to there's no way God could have anything to do with this. Uh, but it is quite a... Uh, it was a major, major miracle in our own hearts, and uh, I can't even tell you how much we have fallen in love with Ohio. We love this place. We love everything about it. People say, say we were just down visiting our, our folks. My, my, my family lives in Tennessee, and by the way, thank you so much for the, uh, the prayers and, and the kind words that have been said, but let me just say to you, it, it, it is, it's always sad when you lose someone you love, and, and my dad and I were very, very close. Um, we, before I became a, a Christian, uh, we, we played nightclubs together. We started when I was 11, and from the time of 11 to 17, we, we'd spend as many as four nights a week, five to six hours a night in a club playing somewhere, and, and my dad and I were always, that's how you do it when you're 11. You can't do clubs without your dad when you're 11, just for the record, not even in Tennessee. Uh, you can get married at 11, but you can't go to clubs. Uh, but... But I will tell you this, my dad gave his heart to the Lord and committed his life to the Lord two years ago, and he crossed the finish line at a full stride. He was living all the way. So it was, it was a great celebration. Uh, but we have we've just fallen in love with this place and people in Tennessee. They, in fact, uh, one, of, one of my dad's best friends, his name is Clayton, and Clayton said, you're a Yankee now, ain't you, boy? And I said... I don't, I don't think so. Uh, we've just been so surprised at the, the kindness and the warmth of the folks in Ohio. But there are some things that I've learned in Ohio that have changed our life. You all know them, but we've learned them. And I'd like to share them from a newcomer's perspective. Here are things that... Now, see, when I left Tennessee at 18 and went to Florida, they treated me a little bit like a deserter. You know, they were kind to me. It was nice when I came home. But they would say, what happened to your accent, boy? Where'd your accent go? And I'd say, I don't know. Then I'd go back to Florida, and they'd all say, you sound like you've been to Tennessee. Yeah, I was just, I was kind of schizophrenic in between, northern, southern. And then when I left Florida and skipped Tennessee and came to Ohio, it's just a whole different world for us. But I have knowledge that I didn't know about. Have you ever heard the word pothole? I had heard the word before I moved to Ohio. And in Florida, the word pothole is a blemish in the road that you may feel when your tire goes across it. In Youngstown, you can hit a pothole on Midlothian and come out uh, on another street two blocks away. It's absolutely life-changing. Three times since I've been in Ohio, I've had to have the same wheel bearing changed on my car. Twice, the tire that was like this was like this. 
from our friendly potholes. So I learned that, and, uh, and I'll tell you another thing. In Florida, there are, there's maybe 1% of the houses where we're from, and I can't even think, I know of one, that are two stories. Now, our first house, we're still renting. We've, we finally sold our home, and we, give, we thank God that our home's finally sold in Florida, and now we're kind of going through that whole transition. But our first house that we rented is a two-story. And at first we were like, oh, isn't this awesome? It's a two-story. It even has a basement, so it feels like a three-story. And if you do anything in the basement and you want to do something in the second story, you know, the first time it's like, here we go. The second time it's like, do I got to go? When we started this journey, we could be, we'd go to bed at night, and my wife might say, oh, Gary, I forgot my pills. And at first I said, hey, baby, I got that. Down the stairs, back up the stairs. After about a week, she'd say, Honey, I forgot my pills. And I'd say, Will you die if you don't take them until I can get a few more things on the list? I mean, you don't go down the stairs for one item, right? You know, you got to stack some things. You stop and think, Is it, do I really need it? And you can just do without it. Tell you another thing that really changed our life when we came to Ohio. Have you ever heard of Handel's ice cream? See? See, I mean, it's, it's like, I, I think there's drugs in Handel's ice cream. I said the name, and two-thirds of you smiled and made noise. When we first started, we'd go to Handel's. Our first week here, we were at Handel's every single day. And I thought, you know, at first you think, oh, that's one of their, like, mobile or, or smaller uh, locations because they don't have a place for you to go in and sit down. I found out no handles have a place for you to go in and sit down. And then the most amazing thing, ice cream. An ice cream store with no lobby or indoor place for you to go is open all year long. And I said to myself, that'll never fly. Those people will starve to death. I said that until the middle of January, and it's seven degrees, and I'm standing in the line. And as I shivered, the thought went through my mind. Am I cold, or is this withdrawals? I think I'm a full-blown addict. We love handles. Uh, And it has, well, let's just stop right there. When I came to Ohio one year ago, I weighed 155 pounds. That's a big fat lie. But I am bigger than I was. I am a lot. Things are changing. And, uh, and you, do you know how many Italians live in Youngstown? It has so affected me. When I go to bed at night, you know how you used to cover up? Now I wrap up like a rigatoni and try to lay some mozzarella over me with the. Uh, it's terrible. There's, I mean, it's not terrible. It's wonderful, I guess. And, uh, and our Rhonda just went through, leading up to this, she went through some surgery and some complications. So the people at the church decided to feed us. Wow, I have had every type of pasta in the universe. I don't know what it's called, but if it's got red sauce, white sauce, or pink sauce, I've had it and I love it. It's awesome. Another thing we learned about Ohio is, I thought people in Florida loved football. I did. I mean, we do okay in football. Now, and I promise you, I didn't switch. I've been a fan for 20-plus years, but I've been a Florida State fan, and you, you may recall last year they did okay. You remember that? They won. But, and I thought people in Florida loved their football. Until I came to Ohio. Ohio State fans are just this shy of psychotic See what I'm saying? You're all addicted. It's crazy. One of the deacons at the church said, Hey, pastor, I've got tickets to an Ohio State game. You have to go. And I said, Sure, that sounds great. Do you know what they have told you and you believed it? They said that the Ohio State horseshoe 
seats 105,000. That is a lie. It seats 55,000, and they cram 155,000 in there. When I went to my little bench, which was that wide, and the bench in front of me was that far away, and when they measured, you know what I'm saying, when they measured how big people were going to be, they got third graders that were anorexic. We went to, and I was like, that's our chairs? Really? And we sat there, and the guy behind me had his knees firmly planted in my back. My knees were firmly planted in the other guy's back. And the chair and the, and the row in front of us, I mean, people, you, could, you couldn't see the roundness of their shoulders. They were like pressed flat. And then two more people came up, and they weren't tiny people. And they came up and they said, those are our seats. And the guys that were sitting there were like, oh, no, these are. And they moved there. You know, because you have to move a lot, and the little number was there. And they were already like that. And they had to go out and then whoosh, back in. Whenever someone would get up to go to the bathroom, it sounded like this. They would get up. It was amazing. Uh, we loved it. Uh, it was great. Ohio State won that game. And, and we stayed for the, what's the thing called what the band does at the end? The script. That's, that's awesome. We, we like that part of it. And, okay, now, so we're loving this place. And I'll tell you how God got us here, uh, hopefully tomorrow night, um, because it really is a miracle. And, and, and it, it was a part of what I felt like God had put in our heart to share for this week. And I, I, just, I just need to say thank you to, uh, to Pastor John for, you know, he could have easily said, you know what, it's not going to work for, for this week. Let's just go ahead and you guys... Uh, we'll, we'll look at some other thing. We'll go ahead and get someone else. But he allowed us the privilege to come. We really look forward to this. And we felt like God opened the door and God anointed uh, us for this, this time. So I believe God has a word to share tonight. But before I do that, I need to do a, little, do a little experiment. And during this experiment, I need for you to be verbal, okay? I mean, there's not a wrong answer, but except for no answer, okay? I just want to do a little... Um, and you could go ahead and put that, uh, the opening slide up there. I, wanna, I want you to just kind of finish this phrase for me, okay? Uh, let's try one. Just see how it works. Ready? Roses are? See, now I really started easy, okay? Now, let's do one that has options. Maybe you've heard it differently, right? All right, just the first word. You can't think. I mean, you can't really think it through. Just, it's, it's, I'm the psychiatrist. You're laying on the couch, and here we go. Ready? Open your mind. I didn't mean that. That sounded a little weird to me, too. Okay, ready? I'll say it, and you just fill in the blank. Ready? Big as a... I heard house. Did I hear cow? Did I hear barn? Did anyone say Buick? That's a saying down south. Man, that feller's bigger than a Buick, you know. But, you know, there are... There are words that just seem to fit. You know, just about anything that you said would have worked. All right, try this for me. Finish this statement. The valley of... I heard defeat. Do it one more time. The valley of... Okay, would you all be quiet? Okay, for a second. Just this one, really? The valley of... Well, you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of answers that could be. I heard defeat. Uh, did I hear death? Did anybody say death? Valley of death. Did anybody say decision? Valley of decision. We could Valley of despair. Just like I thought was going to happen. Exactly what I thought would happen. All the things that finish the valley of are generally negative connotations. Even the valley of decision is a, is a hard place to be. It's kind of like you're pressed against something. Well, tonight we're going to talk about that and, and find there might be a different answer. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, help me tonight. I know that you've got something specific in store for the body of Christ that is here. And I really am grateful, God, that you would open a door for us to be together. And I believe just what Pastor John said 
earlier tonight, no one is here by accident. You designed and destined our paths to cross tonight. And I want to say, God, that I expect your presence here to not just anoint me to say what you want said, but anoint us all to hear what you say. God, speak to us tonight and change our lives in these next few moments, I pray. In Christ's name, and everybody said, Amen. All right, it's June 6, 1944. Kids are on the floor, mom's standing in the doorway, and the dad's in his chair right beside the radio. Maybe some of the neighbors who don't have a radio at that time from down the street, they know it's an important day, and they've asked, and they've all kind of gathered in somewhere in the hallway. And you're sitting there, and you hear President Roosevelt come on, uh, and he begins to address what had happened on that day. Uh, it was, it was uh, they had just gone through a, a major a turning point in the war, and then this was D-Day. And, and uh, he, he began to share with them a, a little bit about D-Day and, and how thousands had lost their lives. And, uh, but he said, it's working because they're making advances. And then, which is, I would, oh God, give us this back again. The President of the United States started to pray. He started to pray, and as he did, families were huddled together. Because this was big. This was World War II. And, and so much was on the line. And, 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 and so much had already been shifted and changed. And factories were now having to adjust themselves to take on different assignments. But the families were waiting to hear what was coming down in the time of war. If you can imagine what it might would have been like to have sat in the floor that day as a child or to be the dad who felt like I've got to be able to say something that makes sense after all this. Or the mom who knows that her part of the, 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 uh, the process is going to be keeping this family together. If you can imagine what that could have been like, then you might know how it felt a few thousand years earlier. In this particular instance, um, at this point, the, the nation of Israel has divided. There's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel in the north and uh, the Israelite kingdom in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And uh, at this point in time, uh, the, those who were leading the, the nation of the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, they had really kind of lost their way. In fact, I believe it was Ahab at this time and he really didn't do a good job. But over the southern kingdom is one named Jehoshaphat. And he had already started some really good stuff. In fact, as you read through in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, when you get to chapter 19, it begins to kind of unfold some of the good things that Jehoshaphat had done. But then in the beginning of chapter 20, there's this, there's this shift. And when you read it through, sometimes you just kind of gloss over it. But if you'll stop, and let the Holy Spirit kind of walk beside you and kind of read it like you're walking through the, through the landscape yourself. Man, you can feel the tension in the air because now this little southern kingdom of Judah with a godly king who's trying to follow God's way, doing God's things, is suddenly backed into a corner because the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the people of Mount Seir have come together to annihilate the people of Judah. There were more of them. They were more advanced. They were better armed, perhaps better trained. I'm not sure about that. But they were so many of them, and it brought this incredible fear upon God's people. And Joab uh, begins to, to, to seek God and, and, and try to find God's plan and God's way uh, and what he wanted to do there. And, and, and in the midst of this, he gets them all to the temple, to the tabernacle, I should say. And he brings them all there, uh, to the place of God where God would be, and, and Jehoshaphat's there. But the Scripture specifically says the families came. When I'm reading this story, I thought about you. I thought about us. And I thought about the family adventure. And I thought about how many of you, it may not have been the Ammonites, the Moabites, but at the time when it felt like something that was against you or uh, a plan that may have been may have been born in the in the portals of hell had kind of all come together, and it seems like 
you can't get past this. And the families are together there with Jehoshaphat. Maybe the seven-year-old boy is sweaty palms holding on to mom and she's trying to act like she's not afraid. Dad is standing there stoic, trying to be the leader. And Jehoshaphat is there seeking God with, with, with the men of God. And Jehoshaphat prays in their hearing. He, they hear him pray and, and his prayer ended like this. Now, stay with me because I'm going to have to do quite a bit of Scripture tonight for you to get this. But I believe God has something to say to our families. I believe families are important to God. Do you believe that? I believe that I'll preach better if occasionally you say something that's kind of loud. Okay? So, amen? You know, that's what they do in the South. They say amen, and sometimes at the most inopportune times. You know, they'll you'll say something bad, and they'll say amen. No, not amen. It's oh me or oh my, but just something. Say something. Are you with me? Is this really the way it's going to be all night? Come on. Are you with me? That, that's all I need. See, now I can go. I, I actually stopped at Starbucks on the way here. I can go for hours. Hours. I am ready. Here's the prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 10. Mo, uh, Jehoshaphat is praying. He says, Now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You will not let our ancestors invade those nation, nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around. They went around them and didn't destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, oh our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord, I just love this scripture, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. This is really not a, a, a constant that we read in the Scripture. Remember the story when Jesus fed the, how many? 5,000. You really, you understand, they were actually, uh, some say they were counting the men, some say they were counting the families, but there's really no reference to families there. Even though they're important to God, this is one of those really cool places where God kind of opens and, and, and lets us see that really important to Him is not just men, not even just leaders, whether they be men or women, but families. And it says they, they all were there together. The physical ba battle may have primarily been a war between men, and it was certainly a national issue at this point for the people of Judah. But God gives us this incredible insight that families were at stake here. And don't you think families are really kind of on the board today and uh, we're, we're a target for so much of what the enemy has planned to destroy the nation? Because here's the, here's the truth. You know this and I know this. If you can rip the families apart, you can rip a nation apart. That's the truth, isn't it? So it's kind of that place and the families are together. I, I love the fact that Ohio has a family camp. I've never been to a family camp. I've been to kids' camps, teen camps, Royal Ranger camp. Uh, I know about Impact Girls camps. I haven't been to one of those. Uh, but they're all important. But this whole idea of a family camp really charges me up. So, so the family stood there waiting on a word from God, and out it came. They're waiting. Jehoshaphat is praying. And now one of the men stands and begins to give this word of God. Here's what God says. And it starts in verse 14. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. Thank you for not laughing at the pronunciation that I just attempted. I, I, I realize that uh, some of that might not have come out exactly right, but it's okay. Verse 15, he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God. That's a good word, isn't it? The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. 
Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, there are several important things in that little section there that we're going to break apart very quickly in a moment. Uh, But before we break into that, you've got to see the ending because the ending is where we're going to get to tonight. And it's where I believe God is going to bring uh, on the phone... no, I'm sorry, it was just a text uh, Pastor John had sent me and had been sending kind words of encouragement. But he talked about what had been happening here, and he said it may be that tomorrow, there's been such a sweet spirit in the place, maybe God's going to just kind of break through some things. And, and, and just reading that text, I felt, oh God, wouldn't it be awesome if you did that uh, at Ohio Family Camp, at the Great Family Adventure? And I believe God's going to do that for our families tonight. So let me just show you the ending of it all, and then we're going to break apart some things. Second Chronicles chapter 20, this is verse 23, says, The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir. Remember, there's three. There's Moab, Ammon, and the people of Mount Seir. Moab and Ammon, for some reason... What do you think? Wouldn't you like to hear the conversation? I mean, did somebody from Ammon say to somebody at Moab, he said, your mama's ugly. <laughs> I, what, what started that? Did somebody sneeze and throw a spear and hit somebody? How do you start a war between people who are fighting together? Don't know how it happened, but Ammon and Moab, those two armies, started fighting the people of Mount Seir, and they tore them up. By the way, that's Tennessee, for they begin to overcome them with great victory. I'm sorry. It just comes out. Um, After that, then the people of Ammon and Moab started fighting each other. They, they, they came against each other. So when the army, okay, uh, they killed one another. After that, they destroyed the army of Seir, and they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness... It's really important that you know this is happening in the wilderness. Wilderness is not generally a positive term. Now, there are good things that can happen, but it's not general. The word wilderness, if you had a choice to go to a resort or to the wilderness, where would you go? Come on, you know, tell the truth. Some, I know two holy people in the back said wilderness, but you were lying in the house of God. You need to get over that. Okay, go to the, we'd go to the resort. Okay, uh, came to the lookout point in the wilderness. All they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not, this is amazing, not a single, how do you do that? Doesn't there have to be one at the end who killed, how do you go down to none? I mean, do they throw the spear at the same time? Have you ever thought, this stuff freaks me out, not freaks me out, but it intrigues me. If I could have just been there to see, how did God do that? I mean, did he throw a stick at them or something? I don't know. So all they found was dead bodies on the ground. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. That's a lot of stuff. On the fourth day, they gathered. Here we go. Here we go. They gathered in the valley of, say it out loud, blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised the Lord and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the valley of blessing today. Did you see that? Valley and blessing are in the same name. That's what you call an oxymoron. Those are two things that do not belong together. Valley is usually associated with death. You did it. You did it yourself. I didn't do it. You you said despair. You said death. You said uh, decision. All the big D's seem to come out, you know. All of that. We all would normally say valley of something bad. But right here, the Scripture tells us that at this point in the game, what was a valley that was overwhelmingly bad became the valley of blessing. Now, let me tell you why I feel like God put this on my heart tonight. Because I think there are some of our families, some of the churches connected to our families, who are in places 
that really do fit. I mean, what they're facing feels like the valley of discouragement, the valley of death, the valley of defeat. And I believe God has His pen out tonight ready to change the name of the valley you're in. But the question is, how do you go from one name to the other? How did it get to the place of being the valley of blessing? Well, just ask me that. How did... Well, I'm glad you asked. I really had to beg and do my hand a lot, but I'll take it. All right, so how did it happen? Here's You could say... Well, you know, it was the great victory that took place, and certainly that would be right. But that's not the question I'm asking. I'm saying, how did they get to this place? What made the victory come about? What got them to the place where something that should have destroyed them made them stronger, with more provisions, with more confidence, more than they ever had, suddenly was in their laps, after that event that took place that became the Valley of Blessing, forever changed the name of it. Well, here's, here's what I see. Just simple, and, and, and I won't take long, but just simple. Here we go. They did more than get by. They got in. Let me tell you what I mean by that. They did more than get by. They got in. If you read the word that came to them, the man who, who had the word from God and begins to share with them what's going to happen, he said it like this, you will not even have to fight. Take your positions, then stand still. Watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the, say the last part with me, for the... The opening phrase of that verse really could confuse you. You will not even need to fight. Some people would read that and think that what God was setting up was a situation that you didn't have to be involved in. But if you read the book, if you look at history, if you watch where the church has been and what we've become, here's what you'll find. God could do everything by Himself, but He chooses never to. He always has the human element involved in the equation. He could, he could appear in the sky even right now and say, I'm coming, and the whole world could hear it at once. He could do that, but he chose to put the human element into it. And he said to them, you won't have to fight, but take your positions. He said, then stand still and watch the Lord victory because he is with you. God's fighting, and if we're going to be with him, we've got to be in the game. We've got to be involved in the circumstance, involved in the situation. He said, oh, people of, of Jerusalem and Judah, uh, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them. Now, that almost seems like it, counter, uh, you know, it counters itself. You don't have to fight, but go fight. But God is saying to them, you won't have to have the strength to make this happen. It will be my arm, my hand, my deliverance, my power. I will come through, but you've got to get in there. Now, can I talk to dads for a moment? I believe God is good. I believe God is all-powerful. Let's just go ahead and talk to parents and grandparents. I believe God can do anything. But if the parents, if we as dads don't get involved in the fight, and we just say God can take care of it, we are sending our children to the wolves. God wants us to be in the middle of it. God wants the whole family involved in this. It, it's not just about getting by. God wants us to get in. And that's exactly what God's people did here. They didn't just stand by and say, God, take care of it. They obeyed. They took their positions. They got ready for the battle. They involved themselves in the work of God. And I believe that today, people who involve themselves in the work of God are the ones who actually see the miracles come to pass in their life and spill over from their life into other lives as well. They did more than get by. They got in. Let me give you something else that I see here in the Scripture. They got in, but then the Scripture says very quickly that they went down. They, they begin to act in humility. When I say went down, and I didn't say go down like they were beaten, they 
purposely went down. Here's what the scripture says in verse 18. This, then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They, they took the position of battle, but they also, t- also took the position of humility. Just providing for our children a, a place to live and food to eat and, and a ride to church, that's good. But we need to remember, we really need God at our house. We really need God at our church. We really need God in our lives. And people who need Him, get Him. Do you know that a lot of people in the body of Christ are actually uh, living their lives like practical atheists? You know what a practical atheist is? Now, you all know what an atheist is. That's somebody that says there is no God. But there are a lot of people in the church today who live like there is no God. They would do nothing different if God didn't exist. All they did was pray the prayer, and then I'm going to take care of this. God wants us to depend on Him. God wants us to lean on His strong arm so that He can provide for us. So, so they got down. But then another thing I see, and I'm working my way toward this last part. I just said they got loud. Really, this is where they passionately, there begin to be some passion rising up. It changed from worry, concern, to they got a word from God. They, they decided to get involved with it. They, 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 they depended on God. But look in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 19. Then the Levites from the clans of, of Koath and Korah stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And what does it say, those last words? With a very loud shout. You know what? In Ohio, you, you are the best defense for good praise. You are. I'm going to tell you why. Because all of those who say it's just not my, it's just not my personality to be verbal. It's just not. I'm not a verbal person until Ohio State completes a pass. And I would never, oh, heaven help, I would never in church move or something. Unless, of course, an Ohio State player crossed the line. And listen, it works in every other state as well. If you're passionate about God, it ought to affect the way you live for Him. You ought to be living for God out loud. It doesn't have to be vocally loud, but it has to be present every part of our lives. They were passionate about God. They verbalized their faith. And and, and the power of verbalized faith can't be overstated. When it comes out of here, because it's in here, it carries power. It carries the ability to alter a situation and a circumstance. But let me give you this last one. They put praise in its most productive position. They put praise in its most productive position. Look what the Scripture says. When Joshua, I mean, Jehoshaphat had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised Him in holy attire As they went out before the army and they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Now, I I like to read the uh, New Living Translation. I like to study the New American Standard Bible, and there's some others. But this particular sentence, I happen to like it best in the King James. It just fits a little marching tone. In the King James, it says, Praise ye the Lord. His mercy endures forever and ever. And I can just, man, I can just hear a thousand singers marching to the drum that was, and just just singing, Praise ye the Lord. His mercy in every step forever and ever. And right out in front, praise ye the Lord. His mercy endures forever. And they just kept on singing praises to God. And the Scripture says, when they began singing, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and, and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. They put praise out front... 
and it carried the most productive power that it could have in that particular battle. Let me, let me say it a different way. It's always good to praise God. When you got up breathing this morning, you had a reason to praise, right? When, when you uh, uh, were able to, to pay the bills that, that came your way, you had a reason to give, give thanks and praise. You know, uh, we, we went through some things in our family, in our life, but, you know, we were at this camp. It's a camp for people with special needs, which, by the way, is on the docket for Ohio next year. I can't wait till you meet the people of, of Special Touch Ministry. They will knock your stinking socks off. And by stinking, I mean good, but they'll still knock them off. They'll knock your socks off. But when, when I see some of the things that we face, and then I go and, and I meet uh, uh, others who have challenges that just dwarf, any, I, I've got a reason to praise God. Stuff has happened that makes me say thanks, and we call that praise. But the most productive position of your praise is not after the fact, it's prior to. Because after the fact, it's good. Dance, shout, sing, fall. I don't care what you do. Just make sure God gets the glory He deserves. But if you could take it from the back to the front, it actually carries uh, power to alter the circumstance that you're going into. If we could, as families, get to the place where praise, where, where our words that, that exalt the name of the Lord our God are out front, it actually carries altering power. Let me show you. One of the, one of the joys of my life, before my dad uh, went on to be with the Lord, and I told you he only got saved in following the Lord a couple of years ago. Uh, in fact, just about this time, two years ago is when uh, uh, he committed his life to the Lord. And he would call me and he'd say, Gary, I, I won't bother you, son, but I found something in the Scripture. And is it really true? Uh, and and, I would, and he, he thought he was bothering me, and he had no idea that he was making my week. You know, and I could talk to him because my dad, uh, he didn't read very well, but he read the Bible better than anything he ever read his whole life. And he, in fact, my mom said, said you know, Gary, it's, it's, it's amazing. Your dad couldn't read very much at all. He really struggled with that. Uh, you know, he could get by. I mean, he's incredibly brilliant. Uh, but when it came to reading the Bible, he, he really read, and he read a lot. And he called me one day, and he said, Gary, is, does the Bible really mean that? And I said, well, tell me, Dad. And, and he read this scripture to me. It says, and Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, uh, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Here's the verse that he said. Is this really true? Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. The tense of those verbs cannot be overstated. Look at the last part of that. Uh, do I have that verse up there? Click for the next one. Let me see if it comes up. Yeah, there we go. Here we go. Verse number 24. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you ask and pray, read the last part, ready? Believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. You know, if, you, if, if Pastor Jeff and Heather were praying for Let's make it big. Uh, a new house with six bedrooms, four bathrooms, a half acre in the back and a half acre in the front, and a tractor to mow it all. If you're praying for that, and it came to pass, and your house payment was only $490 a month. Come on. I can feel God in that, can't you? Woo! You got all that $490 a month house payment. You would thank God like crazy. I mean, if that happened, if you received them, what would their response be? Man, praise God. Thank God. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you... How do I know if I believed that I have received them? It's going to come out in the way that I talk about God. It's going, to, it's going to have to come out in praise. If praise could get to the front of the circumstance, I'm telling you, many times God will set up ambushes that totally change the whole landscape and things. That, how much more impossible can it be that not only do you defeat the army, but they defeat themselves before you ever get there? It can happen. It can, let me tell you this. When my dad started this uh, process with cancer, 
and um, it, it was a, it was it was a, it was a shock to us all. And well, that, that's not totally true. My dad had smoked all of his life, and uh, but it still it, it it was a it was a jolt. You know what I mean by that? You know, it hits you like a a gut punch, and. Um, when, when they came and, and they took the first uh, uh, picture, you know, they did the scope of it and, and, and they did a well, biopsy, that's the word. They did a biopsy and it came back, no cancer. Uh, the doctor came in and he said, listen, I, I want to do that test again. And we said, why? He said, because I've been doing this for lots of years and I know what cancer looks like. And even though that's saying it's not cancer, I have to tell you, I'm not comfortable saying to you that it's not cancer. And, I, and we said, why? And he said, here's how cancer works. If you put a benign tumor in a room and you left it alone, it won't grow outside of the walls that hold it in. But a cancerous tumor, he was just trying to put it in layman terms for us, but a cancerous tumor would eat out through the wall. And it would go from one place to another. And he says, I see what's happening with that mass in your dad, and we believe it's cancer. And before they even got a chance to do the next biopsy, they had done a couple of tests, and another one came back and confirmed the doctor was right, and it was cancer. Because he said cancer, uh, it always eats out. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't shrink without help or whatever. So through us, and, and I need to tell you now, even though my dad is in heaven now, all along the way, we watched another, it'd be like a snapshot. God would say, see, I'm here. We'd get a little farther and we'd face something and God would say, see, I'm here. He do, it's, you know, like little kisses from heaven that reminds you, you're not in this by yourself. They went in to do the, 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 the remove the, the cancer and, the, uh, and they had to take part of his lung. And, and they were, but the doctor came and he said, you know, we didn't have to take nearly as much as we thought. And here's what the doctor said. Now, it meant the world to us because we had already talked to the other doctor who wasn't the surgeon. But then the other doctor who was the surgeon said, when we went in to do the surgery, we didn't have to take nearly as much as we thought because the cancer, get this now, he said the cancer looked like it had turned and started eating itself. And he said, you know, that just doesn't happen. And him saying that to us, after what the doctor had said to us about cancer always goes out, I'm telling you, God can change things that seem impossible. A son who has run from God and broken your heart or a, or a marriage of your, of your children that's falling apart and you don't know how it could ever change. I'm telling you, when God gets involved, anything is possible. And if praise is on the front end instead of the back end, if we can start praising God like it's already happened before the battle starts, we give God room to work in the middle of our battle. And some of us are just waiting, you know, if God does it. Listen, God's big. God's real. And God's already given us His desire to be involved. He wants to be in this with you. And I think the Word of the Lord... For our families tonight is. Listen, I know there are issues in our nation that are tearing it apart. There are moral fibers that used to be there that are gone. I get all that. But God's still God. God is still not only alive, but He's incredibly interested in what's happening in this nation. I know we're messed up, but God really works in messed up situations if He just has some people who trust Him. And how can I say I trust God if I'll praise Him before the battle instead of waiting until the battle is over? And some of you in this room tonight, you're at the valley. And right now, it's the valley of decision. It's the valley of discouragement. It's the valley of Worry. It may even feel like the valley of defeat. God changed it when His people changed their attitude. How crazy is it that you send your people to war 
behind people singing. That is ludicrous. Unless, of course, you trust God. That's the question for us tonight. I'm going to ask our musicians to to start getting in place. I'm not here tonight to be a part of anyone's pity party. I'm not having one because it doesn't help me, and it won't help you. But I am here tonight believing I've heard from God because this is not at all what I intended to, to preach. I decided weeks ago the series of messages that I believe the Lord wanted me to share. Uh, but I was up till 2 o'clock last night doing my best to listen to him because I thought God had a word, and I believe he does. And I believe this is the word. There's some families here tonight who need to decide, is God going to do this? Is God in this? Do I believe his word? See, you've got to stop what's wrong with you and the problem keeping you from worshiping what's right about your God. Because the, the mess in front of you does not change the reality of the God who's waiting for you to stand up. Take your position. Stand in your place and open your mouth and begin to declare, Praise ye the Lord. His mercy endure. See, they didn't say, Oh, wouldn't it have been something? It would have made more sense if the singers out front would have said, Oh God, you're good. Please help us come through. We believe you can defeat it. They started singing like the battle was over. You understand? Let's look at the words. Their words reflected a faith that the battle is over because God had said it and they took Him at His word. And I want to invite you tonight to stand to your feet. And I want to invite couples tonight. I want to invite families tonight. I want to invite grandparents tonight. Could we do this? And I know you could do it at your chair. No question at all. But sometimes it really affects us if we make a move I wonder tonight as they come to lead us in some. I don't want you to just sing the songs I want you to visualize I want you to think about the situation that's in front of you and I want you to praise God like he's already moved like you need him to and I want you to invite you just to step out from your chair come and find a place right here near the front I want you to just move from where you are make a move and just say with your movement God I believe you are the answer God I praise you I praise you I praise you Lord that the financial situation that is strapping my church and my family the, the, the broken relationships that are tearing at the, uh, at the fiber of our whole family. I thank you, God, that you're healing it right now. And I praise you, God. I've got 10,000 and more reasons to bless you, God.